banquets. We are. We're tracking through and going through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, hopefully you are enjoying this as much as I am. I have I have never studied it in this extent. I've never just gnawed on the whole thing. I've preached on bits and pieces of it. I've, I've chewed on bits and pieces of it. And I've read through it in its entirety multiple times. But never just broke it down and studied it piece by piece. And I'm absolutely loving it. And... Uh, Anyways, this morning, where we're going to be tracking is where uh, the title of this message is Treasure Hunting. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5. No, how did that get? That didn't get changed, Brandon Clark. 16. We're in 16 through 24. On my notes, I did not shift. It's not 5. It's 16 through 24. I know where I'm preaching today. And uh, anyways, let's, uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles and look and read Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to read the first few verses. Verse 16, it says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, here we have uh, some questions. The Nobel Prize winner of nuclear science, Isidore Rabi, was uh, asked how he got into becoming a scientist, how he became a scientist. So he said that when he was going to school as a little boy, he would come home and his mama would quiz him down and ask him how everything had gone at school. And he would begin to relay to his mom the different things he'd learned at school and all of this different stuff. And he said that she wasn't so much concerned about what he had learned, but he said she always asked him this question. Did you ask him? Any good questions today, Isidore? And he said ultimately what drove him into science was good questions. Asking good questions is what guided his path. And God has led his people through questions. And today we're going to be looking at some questions. And these are questions that are going to help us answer our two core questions. Remember, it is where are you? That's something we need to constantly be asking ourselves. Where are we? Where are we right now? And then the next one is which way forward from here? 
because God is always taking us forward. He's always drawing us in to Him. And so as we are looking at this, as we're going to be tracking through this, we're going to be looking at five core questions that is brought up in this, uh, in this passage. The first one is, who are you fasting for? I know that we have touched on this the last two weeks, but the reason is because Jesus touched on this three times right here. Boom, boom, boom. He says, when you give... And remember, he said, make sure you're doing it because of your giving, not because you want everybody to see how generous and wonderful and all that you are. Check your motives. Then he says, when you pray, make sure that you pray in secret. Don't pray out in the public. Don't, don't make sure that you, you know, when you're in the restaurant, clear your throat and say, could you all please bow as I'm about to pray over my food and make some big pompous show out of the deal. Say, oh, you've got your reward. There it is. Don't be, don't be doing that. And yet, here one more time, and every time Jesus refers to them as hypocrites. There's always been, you know, you always hear that, you know, people that don't go to church. And they're like, well, you know, why don't you go to church? You begin to ask them. Well, there's too many hypocrites there. You know, there's hypocrites. Well, guess what? Hypocrites need God too. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yes, you're, you're going to run into those. And the, and the question that I've always, that I'd heard that's the best answer to that is, well, have you ever seen any overweight people at the gym? Well, they're not a very good testimony for the gym. You know, you just look at them right where they're at, and you're like, well, man, you're out of shape and flabby, and, you know, what are you going to the gym for? You know, only big hulking people ought to be at the gym. No, you go to the gym to get rid of the flab and all of that stuff. It's a work in progress. And so guess what? People that go to church aren't perfect, but we're in the right spot. I'm not perfect, but bless God, I'm in the right spot for God to work on me and, and change me. So this isn't about us having to be perfect. But what God, what Jesus does question, the hypocrisy he doesn't put up with, is our motives. Why are we going to church? Why are we doing these things? Why are we giving? Why are we praying? Why are we fasting? Who is it for? And ultimately, it's not just to challenge us and to slap us on the hand, but so that we get the right results. Every time he's talking about the reward that's attached to it. Jesus is concerned that we don't go through some motion for the wrong reason and end up with the wrong results and blame it on the motion. Well, giving's pointless. Praying's pointless. Fasting's pointless. I didn't get anything out of this. Well, Jesus keeps coming back and says it's about who it's for. There was the uh, court preacher for Louis the Fourteenth. His name was uh, Francois Fillon. I hope I said that fairly good. Did I? Ha ha! And uh, anyways, on one Sunday, he, uh, um, King Louis the Fourteenth, comes into the into the chapel with his uh, little aide that's with him, and walks in, and there is nobody there but Francois. And King Louis XIV is like, what is going on? What's, what's the meaning of this? Is what he asks him. And Francois says, well, I put out a bulletin that you would not be at church today. Just to, so we could see who was really interested in being at church or who wanted to look good in your eyes. And uh, the deal is, is what, what, getting back to the motives. Why are we there? Why are, why are we going through the process? Why are we fasting? See, authenticity is so important. Jesus hit authenticity three times in a row. Boom, boom, boom. It has to be real. 
Our society today, everybody is just looking for real. You get on and Google church websites and you just look at all of these different churches that are really going at it. Constantly you'll see the word real and you'll see the word authentic and all of these things. The church is waking up to the fact that people simply want it to be real. They just simply want it to be authentic. They want you to be yourself. And that is what is so important. That is what I love about y'all. Nobody puts on airs. Nobody puts on any anything. It is Everybody is just so real. And that is so precious. And we have to guard that. We have to protect that. Because when we're real, when we're who we really are, then God can show up and begin to deal with it. But when we try to, when we try to be fake, when we're going through motions, when we're not really who we are, then it begins to, to shift. <clears throat> and it begins to, to move away from its real purpose. One of my favorite restaurants is uh, Roses. I love their fajitas. Their fajitas, in my, in my opinion, are the best on the planet. Now, your mama may make better fajitas than roses, but I ain't never ate your mama's fajitas. And as far as I'm concerned, you get that that mesquite-grilled fajita meat, and you put the queso, it has to have the queso on it. And that just all mingles together, and it is just so good. I could just make myself so fat on those things. They are, they are delicious. Anyways, you go into Roses, and you go in for Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday is great. And, uh, but you go in, and you see uh, their, their sign, and they have this, uh, they, they let you know what their special ingredient is. Anybody remember what their special ingredient is? Authentic. Authentic is our special ingredient. That is that is what they say. And maybe that's why I love roses so much. Because they put some authenticity, or at least that's what they say they do. And uh, put some authenticity in it. Well, guess what? That has to be us as believers. That has to be our special ingredient, is being real. Remember, Jesus tells a story about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. They go to pray, and one guy's all full of himself, and the other guy beats his chest and rips his clothes and says, God, I'm not worthy. And he, he was just, he was real. And Jesus says, who walked away righteous that day? It wasn't the guy that prayed the right pretty prayer. It wasn't the guy that was full of himself. It was the guy that was raw and honest with God. You know, we talked about camp today, and my life changed at a camp. I, my life shifted forever. There's camp before my summer, before my my senior year, and there I was. I felt like the speaker was talking just to me, man. And anyways, and it just I didn't want to be there for for Jesus. That wasn't why I went. I went to scam on girls, and that was all. And uh, and go have fun in Colorado, and it was beautiful, and I wanted to do that. And man, it just God was just talking to me, and it was. Amazing. Making me mad, and so finally we were on a we were on a college campus for this camp, and all the security was real was real solid. They didn't want anybody wandering off or any of that. They they did a good job, but I just got up. I didn't make any sneaky moves about it. I just got up, walked out, and went out on the grounds, and nobody followed me. Nobody went with me or anything. And I find myself out on their baseball fields there at this college. 
and I'm just so mad at God and I'm just start praying I'm, I'm talking but I'm yelling at God I am cussing I am telling him to leave me blankety blank alone I don't want to do this and I am just ah and I'm telling you in that moment where Brandon Clark let down the pretense of the religiosity and I was just raw before God then I'm telling you it was it, it, as that went and it was just a couple of days God made a mark on my life at that camp that it, it sealed me for him forever I mean I just I just came back a different person I have later on my life didn't show it but I could look back and my life was pinned to that moment and it wasn't in just some super religious setting it was honestly something I looked back on and I was a little embarrassed that I talked that way to God and then I did it but it was raw and it was real and it was honest and it was authentic and that is what God wants from us he wants us to, to, to be real with him just like a best friend when we're with our best friends we don't we don't put on our, our best face we're just us and if you don't have somebody to be that with, then you don't really have a best friend. Because somebody's your best friend, you can just be yourself. And that's what God wants from us. Why are we fasting? Why are we drawing into Him? What is our motive? We have to remember that ultimately fasting is about, and any of our religious things is about, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's about drawing into Him that He is our source of life. Remember, fasting isn't some big, hard-to-understand deal. It's just our life being interrupted. We take something out of our regular schedule and make extra time for God. It's just our life being interrupted by God. We're saying, God, I'm going to take this out of my life and I'm going to put some extra time with you in it. And the whole purpose of that is because we understand that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now let's look at Matthew... Chapter, uh, well, let's look at verses 4, 6, and 18. Matthew chapter 6, verse 4 says, So that your giving may be in secret, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 18 says, And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God wants to reward us. He does reward us. One of the most important things we have to understand is Hebrews 11.6. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. Four. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. That makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? That one's pretty easy. You first, you got to believe that he exists. Right? That, that one's really real baseline. But then the next thing you have to believe is that he is a rewarder. You have to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
You know, faith, if you don't believe that God is a rewarder, it totally undermines our faith. It totally undermines it. Because guess what God wants to do? Ultimately, He wants to reward us. And then, and if we have a hard time with that, if we have a hard time with God rewarding us or knowing that as we seek Him, there's a reward there, then that's completely going to undermine our relationship with Him. He wants to reward us. We have to believe that He is a rewarder. We understand in uh, whether you know when we were raising our kids, you know, there's you have rewards on you reward uh, things that you want repeated. You know, when they do a great job, you know, you give them the the high fives, or the, our family does the hip hip hoorays. You know, if somebody does something real good, then we give three cheers. You know, and the whole family does the hip hip hooray and three times, and it's just a a big deal in, in our house. You know, when somebody does something that's worthy of three cheers, and uh, you know, or somebody does something that uh, earns them a little bit of money, or or, or any of those things, we will re- reward those. It comes out of this place of love, and we're afraid on this reward deal that somehow that there's this God's just trying to train us and just trying to 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 do something that we end up doing it simply for the reward. Uh, Marion Gilbert tells a story. That um, open goes out to get the front, the, goes out to the front door and to get the paper one morning. And there's this little dog, wasn't familiar with the dog, that had grabbed his paper and brought the paper up to his front step. And the dog's just sitting there with the paper. Well, he thought that is just so cute. This dog I don't even know brought me my paper. That is so cute. So he went and gets some treats and gives the little dog some treats and sends the dog on its way. Well, he comes out the next morning and there are eight papers laid on his doorstep. This dog has gone and robbed the neighborhood to get its treats. You know, and sometimes we're afraid that that's, that that's the way it's going to work, that we're simply going to be motivated by the reward. And the deal is God wants, oh, He so wants to reward us. Because God understands what really, really matters. This week we had uh, Kenan's birthday. My son turned 14. And with our deal, I carried on a family tradition when when I was growing up. Uh, whoever's birthday it was got to pick the restaurant. And we'd all go out to eat. And, you know, it was one of those sky's the limit. You choose the restaurant, we're going to go out. And so Kenan... Uh, Keenan chose and he decided he wanted a hamburger that was so big he would have some of it left. And uh, when you have a 14-year-old boy, you got to get a big hamburger for that. And uh, anyway, so we ended up going to Zentner's Daughter because they got some big one-pound burgers. So we went to go to Zentner's Daughter and we're there having our family dinner. And Keenan had we'd gone shopping right before it, and Carson has this Powerade bottle full of change, and all of the kids give their change to Carson, and he sticks it in his Powerade bottle and and gets all excited because his money is building up and he's rich and so I mean he just shows it look how rich I am way to go boy saving makes you rich yes tie those two together and uh, anyway so Keenan had given him some of his change and for some reason while we're at the store I don't even remember why Keenan cared but while we're I mean while we're at the restaurant Keenan calls over to the over the table to Carson and says Carson can I have back some of those quarters I gave you and, uh, you know, he needed them for some reason. And so Carson's reply just 
blew me away. I was like, what? This, this is great. Because he looks over at his brother and says, oh yeah, I only really care about people. And I was like, what? How old are you? This six-year-old kid just said, I, you know, and, and the money was a big deal to him. You know, it was he was excited about seeing it go, but when it was all said and done, he said, oh, I only really care about people. I was like, Oh, that is, that is so awesome. Come pray for me. That's what I want. Sometimes that gets challenged within my heart. But Lord, that's what, I, that's what I want. Is to really only care about people. And ultimately that is God because he, He's a rewarder. Because really, He only cares about us. And He cares about each and every area of our lives. And as we pursue the path of life, as we choose correctly, as He set before us life and death, blessing and cursing, as we choose life, there are rewards along that path to keep us going in there. Because He ultimately only cares about us. He wants us blessed. I love how God refers to Himself in Genesis 15.1. He says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Ultimately, the ultimate reward is God. He told Abram, I am your reward. I am your reward. And in that, Abram, after this, he ends up becoming one of the wealthiest men on the planet. He was blessed. He had children. He was, he was a blessed, blessed man. But ultimately, God said, I am your reward. And when he embraced God, the Father, when he embraced God as his reward, then he had no problem with God blessing him and providing for him and taking care of him. Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. He's promised us that if we will seek Him, we will find Him. He is our reward. We, are, we have the promise according to the seed of Abraham. We are in on all of Abraham's promises. God is our reward. Ultimately, in all of this, when we seek Him, we don't just get the other things on the way. We don't just get to, to have healing for our bodies. We don't simply get to have the, the, the Holy Spirit indwell us and guide us and empower us. We don't just get to have our, our needs provided for. We get God Himself. We get God Himself. You know, in the, the, uh, the whole world of relationships, beginning a relationship is so incredibly scary because we are offering ourselves. In a relationship, that's all you really have to offer when it's all said and done is offering yourself. And what a scary, unnerving place to be. And God has done that. He has put it all on the line in offering us Himself. That is just... Oh, He he is our reward. And He is a rewarder. And we go on and look at verse 19. 
of, uh, of, of chapter 6. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, or where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where the moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, according to Jesus, our, our treasure is like the old three rules of real estate. Location, location, location. Where is your treasure? Where is it? That is so important. It's only going to be in one of two places, Jesus says. It's either going to be something earthly or it's going to be heavenly. It's either going to be something on earth or it's going to be in heaven. But guess what? The only things that really matter, ultimately, that heaven is all about, is God and His people. God and His children. But guess what? While we're here, breathing this oxygen, living in this time of mortality that we have, then we have access to both God and His people. We have access to those. So that that is truly of heaven. Proverbs 2 verses 1 through 6 says my son if you accept my words and store up my commands within you turning your ear to wisdom applying your heart to understanding if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives ah, he, rewarding again the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding but we have to search for it as for hidden treasure we have to search for it as for some as for treasure that is that's been hidden you know it's there but you just can't quite put your hands on it you know it's there you know Jesus goes on and tells the other other things like the, the that the kingdom of God is like the pearl of great price or the kingdom of God is like a man who went out into a field and ended up stumbling upon a treasure and then he buries it and sells everything that he has it's worth so much that he'll liquidate all everything to have that treasure that he knows is there see that is what God is is calling us to because we are going to somebody that does that that sells everything and that's somebody who's obsessed you know, and that sounds bad. We think that, you know, somebody obsessing is bad. Because typically most people obsess over the wrong things. Because you're only going to obsess over something that's earthly, of the earth, or eternally. You know, and if somebody's obsessed over something eternal, well then they have a vision. You know, and somebody who is obsessed over something earthly, well then they're just obsessing. But God created us to obsess. God created us to have something that we want to give everything towards and look at because God himself is obsessed with his prize what else can you call what else can you call what he's done for us he's obsessed with us he thinks about us all the time you look up the definition of obsessed and I did not write it down did I get thank you I put it on your notes Obsess is a verb to dominate or it is to dominate or preoccupy the thoughts, feelings, or desires of. God is obsessed with us, with you and I. 
That's why he laid out the, the plan that he did. That's why he went through what he did with, with Abraham so that Isaac would, would be offered. So that then God could legitimately offer his son. That's why he actually did offer his son. He is obsessed with us and we are designed, we are wired to obsess. And we're going to obsess about something. Something that's going to capture our attention. Something that we're going to pour our lives into. Whether it's our own leisure. Whether it's our children. Whether it's our bank account. Whether it's our physique. We're going to obsess about something. We're wired that way. We're made in the image of God. He is obsessed with us. We're made in His image. We are going to be given to something. We are the ones that have to choose what we are given to. Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What God has given us, what He's placed on the inside of us, Jesus, His Holy Spirit, the, the knowledge of Him, Him being our reward, we have this treasure. And these temporary earthen vessels we call our bodies in this in this life but we have what is truly valuable and that's what should preoccupy our mind that's what should preoccupy our time is what God has has made available to us and then if you want to know your treasure a lot of times all you have to know is what you're looking at what are you looking at and Cutie and I uh, um, we're, had, we're not married yet. Our, our courtship was very short. We met spring break. We're married New Year's Eve. So we met and nine months later we were married. And uh, so our, in that time frame, uh, I was uh, at home, I think for the summer, and we were looking for me a, uh, a, a different vehicle. And I am very into must, classic Mustangs. I love Mustangs. And uh, especially the 66, 67, 68 Mustangs. Those are, those are just my, my favorite. They just they did it right when they created those. And uh, we were actually on our way in Odessa to go and check out a 66 Mustang that we ended up buying. And we were all piled in the cars with my parents and my sisters and Cutie and I were in the, the back seat of the Suburban and we were cruising out to uh, West Odessa to go and check this this Mustang out and I'm in route cutie and I are talking and I'm looking into her eyes and uh, still making her mad <laughs> 16 years later it's still making her mad so I'm looking into her eyes and I say and I say cutie I love oh my goodness and my I love you got interrupted by a 68 convertible Shelby passing us and uh, and so it, oh, she was so mad because uh, 
she all of a sudden had, thought she had a glimpse of what I really treasured and uh, what I was uh, and I had to apologize and apologize and, and my dad like so we I'm still apologizing and uh, my dad turned around and we went to look at it but I really couldn't get out and enjoy it because I had to stay in the car and apologize and uh, so uh, Cutie uh, I think when we went to the pick up the white Mustang the one we bought and then Cutie's all bowing at it and being really sarcastic and like my wife's never sarcastic and uh Anyways, but what are you what are you looking at? All of a sudden, my eyes were grabbed, and she saw it as a glimpse into my heart, into what I valued and what I was obsessed with, what I was doing. You know, one of the things that in our day and age we have a pretty good tool. Most of us are online quite a bit, and we have everything on the planet to learn about and to look at. You know what? There's still, there's a whole lot of the time, Cutie will come up and look at me because I'm planning on buying a Mustang at some point. And she'll come up and she's like, what are you looking at? Looking at Mustangs. And uh, I said, I got to learn the market. I got to make a good, smart buy. That's education. And uh, that's research. Needed research. Is uh, is what it is, and uh, but we have a we have a great indication of what we are looking at. Whenever we get online, what are we looking at? Those are the, begin to show us the things we treasure. Do every time we get online, are we always on our 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 bank accounts and our stock accounts and all that kind of stuff? Are we obsessing over the Dow and oh, is it going to come up or go down and what's going on? You know, if all of our time is on those, then man, maybe our treasure, what we're looking at. Maybe that's giving me a little peek as to where my heart really is. You know? Am I you know, am I spending all my am I spending all my time just shopping, just doing all this kind of stuff? We we have a, a great opportunity in our society that it's a window into our soul to show us what we really value. How many times have we done extra research online? Because there's so many study tools, so many great churches and pastors and all that. What are we what are we looking at? Are we pulling up some extra messages? Are we doing some study on our own? What are we looking at? These kind of things begin to be a window into what our treasure is. See, this verse, verses 22 through 23, says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness. See, the, the ancient... Jews use this eye analogy, the evil eye, and they would say somebody had an evil eye to denote if they were an envious or covetous person, if they were wrapped up in their goods. And we see this reflected in Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs 22.9. We see both ends of it reflected in Proverbs. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. The generous eye, what is that generous eye? noticing. It's noticing someone in need. It's noticing that there's lack and doing about it. Doing something about it. What is that eye looking at? What is it picking up on? What is it noticing? 
You know? Guys, that's why it's so important when our wives' hair changes or their, their nails change that we notice, that we say something because that will show what our eyes are looking at. And I'm hanging myself out here as much as I'm hanging anybody because I don't always notice. And so, but he was a... The literal translation of Proverbs 22.9 says, He who has a good eye, he is blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. He has a good eye. Then we see on the other end of the spectrum, Proverbs 28.22, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. He doesn't consider that poverty, doesn't consider that that riches are, are fleeting. So we have in, in Proverbs this, this evil eye and this good eye. It's what are you looking at? What are you pursuing? That's what Jesus was, was referencing here with an analogy of the eye. If your eye is good or if your eye is bad. What is it that we're pursuing? What is it we're looking at? What is it that we fixated on? It's going to reveal it. And then ultimately we get down to uh, verse 24 and it says no one can serve two masters he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money and the fifth question is who do you serve who do you serve uh, Ronald Reagan had uh, Pastor John used to tell this story and, uh, about uh, Ronald Reagan when he was a boy and his aunt took him out to have him a pair of shoes made for him so she takes him to the cobbler takes him to the guy that makes the shoes and goes in and he's looking at all of the, the different selections the guy measures his foot sits down and takes all of his measurements does all of that kind of stuff and asks him do you want a round toe or a square toe and he, Ronald Reagan, is you know a boy, and he's sitting there, and he can't make up his mind. He can't decide if he wants a round toe or a square toe. So he says, well, let me think on it, and then I'll get back to you. Well, he leaves and is going to get back to him. And uh, anyways, a couple of weeks goes by, and they get a message from the cobbler that his shoes are ready. And little Ronald Reagan is like, I, I didn't even tell him what I wanted. I wonder what kind of shoes I've got. And so they go in to pick up his shoes, and when they go to pick his shoes up, he's got one round and one square. (laughs) The cobbler took his indecision as a decision and gave him one round toe and one square toe. And Ron Reagan says it affected his life because he understood if you don't make your decisions in life, somebody's going to make it for you. And you may not necessarily like it. Well, the deal is, is we can't we we can't serve two things. Where we, we there are so many things we can have multiple of. There's so many things in life that we can have. You know, you can go through the buffet line at at uh, what your favorite restaurant, and you can load up on multiple different choices of different things. But who you're going to serve, you can't have but one. One of a uh, uh, movie that we've watched over and over again is uh, Sweet Home Alabama. And uh, there's a great line at the end of Sweet Home Alabama that I'll paraphrase. And because uh, the, the Reese Witherspoon's character is uh, sitting there and she's about to get married. And then she realizes she's in love with her ex-husband. And she's sitting there in her gown. She's trying to figure out what she's going to do. And 
And her daddy looks at her and says, Darling, you can't ride two horses with one behind, sugar bean. And uh, that's just the truth. We're gonna, we can't ride two horses with one behind. We have to make a decision. We have to choose. Deuteronomy 30.19 says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And we will choose one. We're either going to pour our lives into the things of God and God truly be our master. His decisions be our decisions. His will be our will. What He values be what we value. Or we're going to pour ourselves into the things of this world. And that's what mammon is. It's just the things of this world. You know, people say, you know, it is, you know, a lot of translations translate it money. But when you go back to the original, it's its own word. <clears throat> and it is memoni. And that's why we translate it mammon. And it doesn't have a good translation other than just worldly things. Just this, this, all the stuff. All the stuff that this world could offer. We are ultimately our choosers. Who are we going to serve? Joshua says in Joshua 24:15b. This is at the end of his life. He's this is at the end of Joshua. This is in the last chapter, and he's telling Israel, you know, this. Here are your options. Here's what can happen. I'm about to be done. I'm about to be gathered to my fathers. This is this is it. But he is as the patriarch of his family, even going out of this world. He makes this wonderful statement that's on plaques all over Christian homes and in the world, Joshua 24:15, it says, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And it ultimately has to come down to that, that purposeful of a decision. You don't serve God by accident. It is a decision. We have to keep Him first. We have to keep Him first. And we have to work to make sure that we don't ourselves allow anything else to slip in to that first place. We can have a lot of important things. We can have a lot of good things in life. But remember, the number one commandment is have no other gods before Him. He's the ultimate. He is the numero uno. And as we're going forward in life, when we just ask ourselves, ultimately, where are we? And which way forward from here? Which is what I'm asking you today. Where are you? Where are you in your relationship with Christ? Are you way, way, way far away? Have you, have you, have you not had Him as an active?